reading is 1 John 4:15 to 21. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. As... uh... Matt mentioned, we've been working through uh, a section of the book of 1 John and really looking at uh, taking a spiritual pulse, both personally, but also for us as as a community of God's people. We've been exploring what are some of the signs, what are some of the symptoms that God is at work amongst us, that we are spiritually healthy. Now, you could come up with lots of different ideas about that, and there's lots of things that people have suggested. But ultimately, we need to ask, not what are our ideas about this, but what does Scripture actually tell us are the key concepts, the key symptoms of spiritual health? And uh, we're going to explore that, our last one today. And now, if you're visiting with us, and maybe you've missed the other four, uh, you can go online, you can find those there. But it's great that you're here, because what you'll actually see is one of the key distinctives, one of the things that makes Christians a little bit different. We saw at the start of our series that the Holy Spirit's work amongst us will make our devotion to Christ grow. And then we saw the week following that he will turn our hearts from the things of this world to the things of God. Then two weeks ago, we saw that we will grow in our commitment to his word. Last week, we saw that we will overflow in love. And so if we are a church that is seeing those things happening, if we are seeing them happening individually in our lives, we can be confident that God is at work with us. And this week, we're going to talk about uh, our last point, which is confidence for the future. And I've got four points, uh, foundations for confidence, the fruit of confidence, and then the last two are the same that we've had the whole way through, undergoing a spiritual and prescriptions of grace. Confidence is a wonderful thing. Confident people just exude confidence, don't they? Who doesn't want to be confident? We have a society that finds confidence both really attractive but really problematic because if you go online and search for confidence, there's more stuff on how to fake it when you're not uh, than actually what to do if you are. Uh, We're a society that struggles with confidence and I suggest this year we've taken somewhat of a battering, yes? Uh, A certain virus has turned up and has shaken 
the foundations of what our world has told us we can trust in. Because we've been told that we can trust in uh, our material prosperity. We've been told that we can trust in our personal achievements and our personal resources. And then all of a sudden, this little bug has appeared and exposed some fairly significant cracks in the foundations. I'd like to suggest that it's been, uh, those foundations have had those cracks for a long time. They've just been exposed a little bit more in the here and the now. But we, I think, as individuals and as societies, are more anxious and more fearful than we've been for a while. I think if I asked you a year ago, are you confident for the future? I'd get a very different answer to the answer I'd get if I asked that question today. Uh, We'd be a little bit more cautious, wouldn't we? We'd be a little bit more sceptical, whether it's politics, whether it's uh, virus, whether it's economics, whether... Take your pick. Uh, I had a conversation with a a brother on the way into church this morning, and we shared some of the the woes of the world, you could say, uh, and some of the things that we're seeing. But in contrast, the Apostle John, in 1 John 4, he speaks of a radical confidence. He speaks of something that is rock solid and is a foundation, not just for the future, but for the here and the now. So where does that confidence come from? Well, 1 John 4 verse 15. John says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they are in God. That is the first and the only foundation for the confidence that God promises us. If we acknowledge that Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in us and we are in God. You might, uh, if, you're, if you're listening carefully and you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might see echoes of what God used to say, I will be your God and you will be my people. God lives in us and we in God. John here is echoing those great promises that Jesus himself is the key. And to acknowledge Christ isn't kind of like to wave at him on the street. The word here is literally to confess Christ. It's a, it's a legal idea that you are on trial and you own Christ. You testify to him. You acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the foundation. John goes on. He says, And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete amongst us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. John here speaks uh, in his classic roundabout kind of John way. If you're used to reading John's letters, you'll see that he never says anything in a straight line. He always talks in circles. Uh, But when you get into those circles, you find that there is incredible depth. And John here is speaking of God's love for us that we saw last week was 
given to us, was shown to us in one key event. Chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John speaks of the confidence that we can have that comes from the love that God has for us because Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again in our place. That he came not just as a man to die, but he came as an atoning sacrifice, as someone who stood and took the cost for our sin, who showed us this greatest act of love, who met our deepest need, achieved our highest good. And John tells us that that good is not just that we are forgiven and we can walk free. But in chapter 3, verse 1, he speaks of the privilege that we have, that we are God's family. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, that we should be God's sons and daughters. And so through Christ, God's love comes to us. Through Christ, his death and resurrection, we are his family and we can have this confidence. We can have confidence in the face of judgment. Now, I don't know if many of us really love the idea of judgment. Let me explore. Maybe you're here this morning and think, no, that's just... You know, in our society, to, to be judgmental is one of the key sins. Uh, spot the irony there uh, that actually you've made a judgment about being judgmental, but that's okay. Uh, but I'd like to point this morning, uh, you actually want judgment. You like the idea. Even though you don't, deep down, you need the idea that God will hold each of us accountable. Let's be clear Scripture tells us this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The Bible is crystal clear. We will face judgment. Now, as I've said... It's not a comfortable truth, but it's a truth that we need. Let me unpack that for you. Why, why do we need it? Because if there's no judgment, there's no justice. You know the person who hurt you, the person who did horrendous things and got away with it, the person who is guilty of unspeakable crimes. And gets off scot-free. The person who has sinned against you. If there's no judgment, ultimately, that, that doesn't really matter. There's no ultimate reckoning. There's no ultimate accounting for that. And not only that, your pain doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, there's no right or wrong because there is no judgment. It merely comes down to power. 
And the person with the most power gets to inflict pain and the people with the least power get to receive pain. But the Bible promises us that God will set things right. I'd like to suggest that we, we personally need the doctrine of judgment. What the Bible teaches us is true. What we don't like, can I say, is the idea that God will judge us. I think we're quite comfortable with the idea that God will judge others. Particularly those people that you're thinking of right now. You're okay that they are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But the reality is, is that Paul tells us that each of us will. But can you see what John here is telling us? Is that we can have confidence as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ because of the love that God has shown to us in Christ. We can have absolute assurity. The idea of confidence is this idea of you meet someone of a superior social standing. You know, we don't really do that very well in Australia. Uh, we, we put everyone on the same level. But maybe you come from a culture that actually really is aware of class. As Paul and as John did. And they walk into a room. This idea is confidence is you just walk up and you shake their hand. If, if you're allowed to do that, maybe you bump their elbow. Uh, and you call them by their first name. You have confidence to come. The Bible talks about us having confidence to approach the throne of God in Hebrews. That we can go into the very throne room of heaven and walk up to God. Why? Because we are his children, adopted freely by his grace, because Christ paid for our sins. And so when judgment comes, we can have a radical confidence. Because it doesn't rest on our goodness. It doesn't rest on our appearance, our, our uh, achievements. It rests upon Christ's sacrifice achieved, perfectly done in our place. So what is the fruit of that? Let's unpack. The obvious one we've just talked about is this idea of no fear in judgment. Paul's, uh, John here says, uh, we can have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. If we are God's people, if we have put our trust in God because of what Christ has done, we can have this radical confidence. And it's not because sin doesn't matter. It's because Christ has paid for it in full. John actually says quite incredible words. In this world... We are like Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Because when we go into the Gospels, you see Jesus there and you see an extraordinary human being, 
A man who is both God and man, doing and saying extraordinary things. Doesn't mean that we will do and say what Jesus did and said. A little bit of that. But that's not what John's getting here. What John is getting at here is how does God the Father look upon God, Jesus, the Son? At his baptism, what did the Father say? This is my beloved Son. At the Mount of Transfiguration, again, those words come through. This is my beloved son. And I don't know if you've noticed the echo. Unfortunately, the English translations, particularly the NIV we've been using, it overshadows this. But if you've got maybe an older translation, whenever John speaks to the people he writes to as dear friends, what he's literally saying is, beloved And I don't think he's necessarily saying just that he loves them. He does. But I think he's saying they are loved by God in the same way as Christ the Son is loved by God. And so we are like Jesus. We are loved like Jesus is loved. We are seen because he has taken the punishment we deserved. God the Father sees us like he sees Christ. Perfect. And so when it comes to judgment, our ledger has been wiped clean because of Christ. And so we sing, remember the song, uh, In Christ Alone, there's a line in it that says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. That is what the Christian can have. Not walking around thinking, I hope I'm good enough. But we can walk around thinking, by God's grace and Christ's sacrifice, I am accepted. It's not that I get there on my merit. I am there because of him. Which gives us an incredible confidence. An incredible security. But it also teaches us that the best is yet to come. John speaks, not just though of the future, he speaks of the here and the now. Verse 16, I want to spend a little bit of time just in the first half of this verse. So we know, John writes, and rely on the love that God has for us. We know it and we rely on it. What does that mean for us in the here and the now? Let me just pull out two things. One in about our lives personally, but another one about how we see the world. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about the fact that many of us have found that the longer you go on in the Christian life, uh, the more aware of sin you actually are. And you sometimes feel like you're actually taking steps backwards. You know, the further I go with Jesus, the worse I become. One of the things that we can be assured of is the one who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, that what God began, because he began it by his grace, he will finish it 
by his grace. We are his children. We can have confidence that our father will begin what he will end what he began. And that will come when either we go to be with Christ or he comes back here to be with us. I want to unpack a little bit of model because I found this really helpful when someone showed this to me. I think I've shared it before. If you've seen it before, forgive me, I'm reminding you. But if not, hopefully it's helpful. When, um, when you become a Christian, when you come to Christ, it's a bit like this. You've, you've come in and you start to see the point of conversion is that, that sort of transition where the lines start dividing. You start to become aware that God is a holy God. And in contrast, that you are not. So you become aware both of his holiness as well as your sinfulness. It's like um, Pam was talking about the gym before. Uh, I also go to a gym, a different gym. Uh, and there's a part where you, you, um, you know, you're working out, you're doing all your stuff, you think you're pretty good. I, I recently bought a watch that monitors my heart rate and does all this sort of thing. Uh, and uh, it monitors my VO2 max. Now, you may not know what a VO2 max is, but it measures just what an elite athlete I am. Um, there's five categories. I didn't hit poor. <laughs> it, I hit fair. I thought that was a bit harsh, actually. <laughs> Feel like sending the watch back and getting a new one but this is the thing there's an objective standard and all of a sudden all the lies I've been telling myself about how just beautifully fit I am have been exposed when we look at the holiness of God and if we see him clearly we will see our own sin but the amazing thing is that when we come to Christ and we see the holiness of God and the sinfulness of us. We see the cross, which is why the cross is in the middle there. It is Christ that bridges our sin, God's holiness, and makes our ongoing life in him possible. The problem becomes when you go on. Because as you go on, the Spirit works in you to show you more and more of God's holiness. Which means that you will see more and more of your own sinfulness. Because as you see more how holy God is, you will see more and more of your own shortcomings. It's like, you know, I can be there, I get onto my, my I love the step climber. You know, I'm there and, and, and I think I'm going quite okay. Uh, Peter Edwards, who isn't here this morning, I'd pick on him personally if he was, but I'm now naming him and he'll be recorded. Uh, Peter and I had a, had a stair challenge and I absolutely annihilated Peter, can I say? Okay, but then you get the person who literally runs on the stair climber and they run for like 40 minutes. There you go, so when I'm sort of, you know, you see that next level and what actually happens as you go on in God, is you see more and more of his holiness. And so it does expose more and more of our sinfulness. And the problem can become is if we don't see more of Christ at that point, you see that the cross has stayed the same size and you've got these gaps. And so you start having to tell lies to yourself. 
actually, that's not really that bad. Actually, that's not really a sin. You start limiting things. You start limiting God. You start feeling the despair because in your honest moments, you see the gap and you think, oh my goodness. To go on in Christ, as your awareness of his holiness gets bigger and the awareness of your sin gets bigger, the awareness, the fact that Christ has paid for it all, once for all. And when we know that, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, we have an incredible peace. And so, brother, sister, if you are one of those who have been walking with the Lord for a long time and you feel terrible, (laughs) you just think, oh, I just don't feel like I make any progress. Remember, the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Let me give you something else. Okay. How do you deal with hardship? How do you deal with setbacks? Sometimes Christians will say, and I've heard people say, why is God punishing me? What does it mean that we know and rely on the love that God has for us when tough times come? Could be you lose the job. Could be the relationship breaks down. Could be that... The marks you get at school, at university aren't what you want. It could be all sorts of things. God is punishing me. No. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. Because God is not our judge. We will be judged. We will stand before Christ But we will hear, my grace is sufficient for you. Paid in full. When we face the hardships that we will face, we know that we have a loving Heavenly Father who has given us the one who is the dearest to his heart. So he is in this. He is in this to work out his purposes. And so we read this back in Proverbs, gets picked up in Hebrews 12. My son, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the child he delights in. God disciplines those he loves. Why? To make us more like Christ. So when we face these hardships, know that you have a loving Heavenly Father who is in them and through them and over them. He is not punishing you. He is disciplining you so that you are more like Christ. Let's keep going. What about the world? You might look around, and we've talked a bit about it, uh, all seems to be a little bit more chaotic than it used to be. Yes, we seem to be a little bit more spun out of control. You read the newspaper, yes, there's the virus thing, but then there's a whole thing. International affairs are all over the place. There's the US election. Uh, There's all sorts of stuff happening in uh, Europe. There's racism, terrorism, climate, environment, all this sort of stuff. What does it mean to know and love 
uh, know and rely on the love that God has for us in this. Well, one of the dangers for us as Christians is we reduce the cross to just about getting me to heaven. Now, there's a couple of things wrong with that. The cross is so much more than that. Let me say that. But it's not so much about getting me to heaven. It's about heaven coming here. The Bible doesn't speak of us us escaping this world. It talks about a new heavens and a new earth as Christ returns. But what do we see in the cross? Colossians 2 teaches us that at the cross, Jesus triumphed not just over sin and death, but over all the principalities and powers that stand against God's purposes. It says in Colossians chapter 1 that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and to through him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. And in case we missed it, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And something about mountains falling to the heart of the sea. That's because I picked up Psalm 46, which is another verse that I'm going to quote uh, that has nothing to do with Colossians 1. So just ignore the mountains at that point. They shouldn't be there. But my point here is that our loving Heavenly Father, the cross was his victory, not just over sin and death to take us out of this world. No, it's actually over everything in this world that stands against God's and his purpose. And so when you get in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. We therefore will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall to the heart of the sea. There it is there. We have this promise. So when you look at the newspapers, when you watch the news on TV, when you get your news feed on Facebook or wherever you get your news, don't despair that somehow God has actually packed up and left the building. God will achieve his purposes as his children. We can know that our loving Heavenly Father will set all things straight. There's a great little hymn that I enjoy. And one of the lines is, um, the worst that can come, but shortens our journey and hastens us home. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. So what does this mean in terms of spiritual health? Can I say... Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who we've been going lots to recently, had nothing to say on this because he stopped his uh, little book after four points. I've made a fifth, and so I've just invented something. I've put his face next to it because it gives it credibility. Uh, But notice I'm not claiming that it comes from his book. But I think he would agree with me on this one. If the spirit that is work amongst a people operates to give them comfort and assurance that their loving Heavenly Father is Lord over their lives and as well as the world, and that he will achieve his purpose in both. It is a sure sign it is the Spirit of God. I think the Bible teaches us that Christians should have a steady confidence that their God, their loving Heavenly Father, has both our lives 
and our world under his sovereign control. So what does this mean? Let me give you some points to think about. We should have, if this is happening to us, a growing joy that we are God's children by grace. We should rejoice in adoption because our confidence doesn't rest on us. It rests on the fact that he in Christ has loved us and made us his own. So that should be something that is constantly coming up in our hearts. I am God's child. Wow. It should give our hearts rest in his grace. Because we turn from seeking to earn acceptance, to be the kind of people that we can make it all happen. And we can actually rest in his love and his grace. We don't have to be good enough because Christ has made the grade for us. This means we will look at others with less judgment. Because we're not looking to ourselves and saying, oh, you know, if only you were as good as I am. No. By grace, I am saved through faith. I am God's child by his grace through the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. It means I then rest in that. I don't have to prove myself by being better than you. I am not. We are all sinners saved by grace. We have a motivation for living God's way, not because we have to, but because by his grace we can. It's not you must, but you you can. Do we see that? Or do we feel the burden of measuring up? It means we will have growing honesty about our sins and our shortcomings. Do we find ourselves lying to ourselves? Telling ourselves why that doesn't matter. Telling ourselves why that's not important. Comparing ourselves with others. You know, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not like him. You know, you could work out who I was pointing at then. <laughs> was it Jeff? Was it Simon? Was it Matt? They're all in the line, you know? Wow. Okay. But that's the thing. We can actually be confident because we are accepted by God because of Christ. We don't have to tell him lies. We don't fool him for a second. And we don't have to tell ourselves lies. lies, And we don't have to tell others lies. We can actually be confident to acknowledge our own sins and shortcomings because we know that in Christ they have been met. We have a growing peace among life's turmoil. God is our strength and refuge. If we are growing in this, we will have that confidence that the world will not shake us. I read the newspapers and I know that at times I come away depressed. But this tells me that I don't need to. Maybe my response shouldn't be, woe is me, look at the world I live in. But I can pray for this world to the one who can make the difference. We have a growing peace 
We turn not to God as the last resort, but as the first resort, we come to him in dependent prayer. And we have a growing anticipation of being with God. We rejoice. Yes, he's given us many good things. But we have that sense that this is not the best. We look for Christ's return. We look for the fullness of his promise being brought into reality. The new heavens, the new earth, where God will be with us and we will be with him. Brings us to our last point. Now, if you've been paying attention, what you will have noticed is for the last four weeks, I've basically repeated the same last point. I've just had different headings for it. Have you spotted that or have I fooled you? Okay. There is a reason for it. It's because actually being a Christian is not really incredibly tricky. It's going back and doing the simple things, the core things, really, really diligently. Remain at the cross. That is what I've told you. That is what the scripture tells you. Never leave the cross behind. Prayerfully work out what does the cross show me? What does the cross teach me? What does the gospel mean in this? And we've seen that this morning. The gospel has a lot to say about our personal lives, but also the life of our world. We need to work out the impact of the gospel for what confronts us and ask for God's spirit to be at work, to show us how that we might live faithfully in the here and in the now. And then we go on with confidence because our heavenly father loves us. Let's pray to him now. Father, we ask that by your grace, you would work in our hearts to show us more and more of the love that you have lavished upon us in Christ. Not only that he stood in our place, bore our sins that we might be forgiven, but that in him you have adopted us. You have made us beloved children. Lord, give us confidence. Not an arrogance, not an unfounded confidence, but a confidence that comes by your grace to us in Christ. Because we stand on his perfect finished work and by nothing of our, ourselves. Lord, let us know your love. Let us rely on your love for now, for tomorrow and into the future. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.